it's easy enough just to jump off and kind of say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do these projects. But you need to have an infrastructure to get the work. You know, I think the number one way to get the infrastructure is to meet lots and lots and lots and lots of people. This is Writers in Tech, a podcast where today's top content strategists, UX writers, and content designers share their well-kept industry secrets. Welcome, everyone. Today we have a very special guest. Corey Lebson is a UX expert um, working in uh, Lebson Tech, which is a user experience consulting group that has been around for a while, I think like 12 years, right, Corey? Hi, yeah. yeah, 12 years. Yes, exactly. Years, something like yeah, that. Yeah. And Corey have many courses about UX in LinkedIn Learning Platform. And today, we're actually going to talk about the different things from his book about building a career in UX. And um, there were many different ideas that I believe that all of us people pursuing a career in UX can learn from about personal branding and networking and um, all of those. So welcome, Corey. How are you? Good, good. Yeah, it's good here in Maryland. And yeah, I'm doing very well. How about you? you? For, I'm good. Thank you for coming. Yeah. Um, tell us about your experience with UX. How did you get into this field? It was a long time um, ago, right? Yeah, really long time ago. <laughs> in UX years, it might have been 100 years. But yeah, I, I was in college in the 90s and really had to, I was in psychology, had to pick a professor to work with at the university. And I said, hey, this guy's doing something with usability. I think I'll do that one. It looks interesting. I, I like technology. And that was it. You know, he, that professor got me my first job when I graduated college. I said, well, so, you know, who should I, you know, where, where should I go from here? And he said, oh, I've got a friend. That was my first UX job. And I found a career that worked really well for me. I mean, this, you know, my first job was I don't know, 26 years ago. Wow. And yeah, you know, I stayed with it ever since, you know, focused in the research, you know, as my personal passion, but also kind of branching out, kind of overarching UX framework, you know, over the years, as there became an overarching UX framework. Yeah, Which kind of technologies we had back yeah. then? Like when you just well, started? So, yeah, so when I started, I did a little bit of hardware. I remember doing like an early, like this thing of a webcam that you just plug in and go, <laughs> wow, it's amazing. <laughs> and also on the web, I remember the web wasn't allowed to be commercial. So, you know, it was just starting to be permitted to be more than the universities and such like that. It was just starting to be this commercial thing. So businesses had no idea what to do. No idea at all. I mean, the truth is, even as a researcher, you had no idea what to do either. The standards hadn't been created yet or, or hadn't really been, so you're kind of winging it for many years. But yeah, it was a totally different time and very cool, although not popular. Like certainly research was not popular back then, like it is today. And UX, the term didn't even exist back then. So Amazing. And what kind of things you learned over there is that you had to kind of build the medium as you go, I assume, and because yeah. nothing was standard back then. You didn't have any guidelines. So what do you think is kind of universal UX law? that was right back then, and you can implement it even in you know, today's technologies with the wearable devices or like maybe in cars in the future or extremely mobile apps and stuff like that. I mean, basically, you know, from, again, this is a lot from my research lens, is the, the angry faces on the users. You know, when doing research, and particularly most of my research is in person, and, you know, and of course now, obviously a little bit different in, in the COVID times we're in now, but still, you know, a lot, basically I've made a career out of the, the in-person stuff. And back then you saw the anger on the user's faces. You saw the frustration. You saw the, 
when they say, you know, it's not me, I'm stupid, you know, it must be, you know, or it must be something I did. That has not changed. It was, might have been the early websites, just the same, you know, in wearables or any products today, you know, any physical products, any websites, no matter what the technology, it doesn't change. Users getting frustrated is, it makes me feel bad inside, you know, to see those users, you know, or the participants, you know, so frustrated and it just has never changed. Right. The people that feeling like they're not, uh, they're like, oh, I'm not a technical person, so I can't operate that kind of stuff. But actually, as a UX person, you say that it's never the user's fault and we have to solve those frustrations. Yes, yes. Yeah, for sure. And uh, is there any kind of a specific way that you choose to solve those kind of frustrations for your users? Yeah, I mean, so from a research perspective, I've often given a lot of advice, you know, saying, here's what to fix, here's what to make better. And, you know, some people say it's all about the clicks, you know, if you're on the web, the clicks or the button presses or the, you know, not too many, not too many. It's not really about that. It's about the scent of information as you go. So, you know, no matter what you're using, when you're interacting with a system, just like that squirrel smells the nuts, you know, that they hit in the ground, you know, a long time ago, it's that scent of information that, again, relevant in the past, relevant in, in, in the present and in the future. It's making sure that the users of a product can sniff out the meaning of where they're going and they know this is the next step. It doesn't matter what kind of product it is. This is the next step. This is where I go. This is what I do. And this is what I'm going to achieve. Amazing. And many times we use UX writing to communicate that message, like what's going to yes. be in the next step, what we had in the previous and yeah, some kind of maybe yeah. bar, so we would know where we are in the and for for sure. And the words are the words are definitely the top way to convey <laughs> that information. So, yeah. Fantastic. And then, what kind of uh, projects are you doing today? So today I'm doing. So this year is certainly different in a lot of ways. Sure. <laughs> you know, so I'm doing a lot of actually. I'm doing some nonprofit work. Um, some with with aging. You know how. You know, this month, last month, we've done some, some age, like aging, you know, if, if someone's getting older, how do they make sure they can use a resource, you know, when they're 70 years old, 80 years old, do they, are the web conventions, maybe they have to be a little more clear to an audience group that didn't grow up with these web conventions. And I'm also doing actually here in the state, some uh, state government work, basically kind of aligning state government websites with their population with each population, uh, which is actually very interesting because, you know, each state has its own culture, its own understanding, its own terminology. There's some, you know, really strange language that they use in one state and not the other state. And it's largely about this year, we're doing some work, you know, with, you know, understanding, you know, if, if other things relate to, to some vehicle, vehicle functions for states, things relates for some uh, tax functions for states, which again, each, each year kind of, I don't have a particular like niche per se, but each year kind of, it, it just changes. I kind of blow with the wind. This year, one thing, this year, another thing. And uh, yeah, it's been, and by and large, my work is more so th- occasionally products, but largely things with screens. So a lot of it is web work that, I'm, that I've been doing this year. Like uh, mobile apps? Uh, mobile apps, mobile apps, mobile websites, responsive websites, but all the research around it. So, you know, often I'll do a hybrid study where I do the same thing on like a responsive site. Here's the site on desktop or on laptop. Here's a mobile and kind of making sure that the conventions hold, you know, as the screen shifts. But yeah, and, and apps too, although no apps this year, actually. But yeah. What kind of insights do you have about, uh, I'm very curious, you know, to hear more about like landing different projects and how aren't you like stressed out yet? When is it going to be the next project? Because 
it's very difficult, you know, to live in uncertainty sometimes for many people, including yeah. me, by the way. But I would love to ask first about which kind of insights do you have about designing for elderly uh, based on your research? Yeah, well, so, I mean, the number one thing, particularly on the web, is that, you know, the conventions that younger audience, and particularly a tech-savvy younger audience, may kind of say, oh, yeah, of course. So I want to go home. I click on the logo. But that doesn't necessarily hold. Oh, there are these three little lines. I know they're a hamburger menu, and I can click on it, and I can see a menu, but that doesn't hold. There's a little person icon, you know, and that person icon sitting there in the top right, oh, maybe that's a profile, or that's a logout, or whatever, but that doesn't hold. I mean, of course, standard, you know, accessibility kind of things in terms of, you know, if, if vision isn't so great, using a small font may not be the best way to do your site. You know, being visual is, you know, seems all the more important, you know, not dense words, you know, where you break it up, have more white space. But I mean, the truth is, all these conventions are good for anybody. But particularly, I think, with an older adult population, it's just, you know, it, it's all the more important, both from a classic kind of web accessibility kind of standards, you know, the WCAG 2.1 standards, but also just, you know, just even beyond that, just kind of thinking about the, the usability. And also, by the way, the, going back to the words, the information. The information, you're not going to assume, like, you know, the younger people's jargon or, or kind of some of the assumptions that you make when, you know, that you may make for a younger audience, for a general audience, that's, you know, kind of the, 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 the entirety of, you know, 20 to 70, when you're really focused on that kind of older population. And yeah, it's been, an, that's an interesting one that, you know, every now and again, um, it's not something I focus on all the time, but I've gotten to do older population. I did one about like, it was disaster preparation uh, targeted at an older audience, like you know, do you have the right, you know, if, if a hurricane strikes or mm -hmm. basically, basically natural disasters, if that strikes, you know, what do you need to do and what do you need to think about? And actually the information is a little different. Like, so for example, a bigger focus on your medication because there's a higher percentage of people taking medication, you know, certain assistive devices, you know, even physical assistive devices that may, you know, a cane, you know, what, you know, those kinds of things. So it is a very interesting audience that every now and again, you know, like I get to do a project and that's what I love about consulting. It just, like I say, shifts in the wind and, you know, when that comes. That's really cool. Uh, have you heard about the Hawaiian missile alert, by the way? Yes, yes. <laughs> that's uh, that's uh, yeah, what not to do when you can send out warnings. And yep, yeah, no, not, yeah. not missiles. And now not. Exactly. Out, no. Yeah, yeah. The interface. That's, uh, yes, yeah. Good one. So talking about uh, UX consulting and landing projects. And so a lot of times people that are new to UX, like people that want to get experience, and they're just starting now. So um, I recommend, you know, it's really difficult to get a job as a junior a UX designer. So yeah. to do some freelance work and all of that, I guess it's not the best, necessarily the best way to go, but just uh, sometimes I say to people, you know, whenever you want to have some kind of foot in the door with different organization, go to, uh, to do some kind of a freelance project and work with a product team, see that you understand how it works, get some experience, and then it will be easier probably to land a UX writing position, a UX design position, whatever. So what would be your tips to land a UX project? Like, like a first one, like when you're just Like a first out. one, yeah. yeah. When you're just um, starting so, out with your career. So I do think that a, a real pain point in the industry right now is a lot of job descriptions are three to five years. Three to five years, always three to five years. What happened in the first three <laughs> years or even the first two years? And you know, I think, you know, first of all, there are internships available and the, 
when lucky enough to find them. I actually just did a uh, live stream uh, with some of my colleagues this past Thursday about whether those should truly be free, like you don't get paid, or they're low paid. I would argue very strongly, you know, to the businesses out there, create the internships, don't make them no paid, make them low paid. Because, you know, it's really not fair to people to say you're helping our company and by the way, we're not paying you anything. Mm -hmm. So I really would want the businesses out there to create these internships. Some of them do exist, but just they're very few and far between. You know, but I encourage, again, kind of on your own terms kind of concept. I would encourage you know, people who are interested, one, to do the necessary learning, whether it's through listening, watching, reading, taking courses, do whatever it takes to actually be able to speak the vocabulary of UX. Number two is have some experiences. Those experiences could be kind of classroom experiences, like you do a class project. They could be volunteer experiences. You have a, an organization that you want to help and you say, hey, can I do this design for you, this research for you, this writing for you? And then, by the way, I'm doing it for you. I'll even volunteer. And that can be free. I'll volunteer to do that, but can I, can I include it in my portfolio? And then three is, you know, going to companies and saying, you know, hey, you know, I am here. You know, I'd really love to help. Can I help you with a project? Every now and again, someone will come to me and say, can I help you with a research project? And, you know, by and large, like I say, my research is in person. So really, it's often a, an opportunity of place where I say, well, I'll be here at this time. You know, if, if you can get there, you can help when I have the time, although sometimes things get very busy. But yeah, so really, it's kind of finding opportunity and also networking. No matter where you are in the world, there are certainly UX organizations. I mean, pretty, well, I shouldn't say anywhere. When there's major metropolitan areas, there's often design work going on. And whenever there's design work going on, there's often communities. I mean, I was involved in UXPA, you know, for a number of years. But really, you know, there's a lot of kind of individual meetups all over the world. And it's amazing to see. And it's also, it also synchronizes everybody's vocabulary around UX and creates a network superstructure uh, where you could potentially find people to say, hey, can I help out? I know you personally, I met you at this event. Um, I connected with you on LinkedIn. You know, it's very helpful. So yeah, so again, it's a pain point. And it's, I wish there was a great answer, but there's certainly things that an individual kind of seeking things out can do. All right, those are great tips. And I have a question. So and that's something that worked for me really well, but some people might uh, say that it might turn out to be a bit rude. But let's say that I want to work in an organization, a company that they have an, a web application website, and I notice that they have a few usability pain points in the website. So I create a mini you know, usability document, and then I try to be as sensitive as possible and pass it to one of the team members and saying, you know, I don't have a lot of context, you know, much more than I do, but I have a few suggestions for your product and I would love to hear your feedback about it. So do you think it's like a rude practice and do you think it can make you stand out versus other people? What do you think about that practice? So first of all, I think it's a good practice, even if you're not looking for a job. I mean, there's times mm -hmm. when I'm using a product and I say, oh, you know what, I'm having this pain point uh, myself personally because you know, every product has some pain point. And I'll try to find someone to, hey, here's an issue. I you know, did it with you know, various, kind of, there was an audio product that I just said, hey, you know, this is a suggestion. You know, again, couch very nicely. You know, this would make my life easier. This is my context of use and so on. So I think it's a good thing overall to be able to feel free to contact companies. And that said, even in any context, there's times when I know it never got to the right person. And there's times when I have seen changes made. I mean, probably less so, but I have seen changes made. Um, so now taking it back to kind of that individual job seeker, 
Sure. I mean, I think it doesn't hurt. Again, if you create a kind of recommendations guide and say, you know, I did this at my own initiative and I, I want to help. And by the way, I'd love to help you. I, I don't think there's harm in it. I mean, again, couched in the right way, framed in kind of the right kind of, I'm a nice person, you know, to want to help you. And I want to work with you too. And, you know, let's just do a trial run. You know, let's try for a month, two months, six months, whatever. I think it's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah, it worked for me. I used to, it helped me to run my first UX gigs back uh, then when I uh, learned from LinkedIn Learning. And then I had to find a place to practice it. And I just did like, you know, try to do my networking, reaching out to people. And then I was using this mobile um, app for commute, which was kind of new or like revolutionary back then. Yeah. And uh, I was the user actually, and I had a few, you know, usability issues with it, documented them, sent it to the director of design and they invited me for a lunch. And it was, I didn't land the job from it, but the idea that, you know, it get noticed, people use it eventually and made me very confident about my abilities as a UX designer. So that was a cool uh, practice. Um, yeah, no, for sure. And then, uh, okay, so let's say that we're talking about being a UX consultant. So right now I'm an experienced UX writer or UX designer or UX researcher. And maybe I want to work on, just like you, like different interesting projects for nonprofits or for elderlies or, I don't know, for healthcare or whatever I like. Maybe meditation. Medit- I want to consult for meditation apps, for example. I'd like to do that. be fun. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's yeah, fun yeah. too. Yeah. And so what will be your strategy? I know that in your book you talk a lot about the personal branding and stuff like that. So what will be your strategy? First of all, not to be stressed out and thinking about the next project mm-hmm. all the time and to actually land that project. Uh, sure. So basically I'll frame the kind of consulting I do. I mean, I think people think of consulting as contracting some time where you, you take on like a year project or something like that. But that's not what I do. What I'm really focused on is either what you're talking about is that consulting where it's a project and then the project ends, you do a different project and the project ends, you do a different project. You know, first of all, I love it. I think, you know, I've been not, not exclusively, but largely doing it my career, my whole career. And it's a lot of fun. But anyway, so you know, if, if someone's interested in, in doing it, you know, basically, first of all, there's consulting organizations, there's design agencies, there's larger kind of corporate consulting kind of, you know, international conglomerates kind of thing. There are opportunities there. And I'd say if someone wants to do it, starting out kind of working for one of those organizations gets you kind of understanding the way the consulting works, the way that you have to bid on projects, you know, the way you find out about projects and things like that. That said, you know, I did that for a number of years and largely I've been freelance with subcontractors. They'll use, you know, one subcontractor per project often among you know, a very, very small number. And, you know, if someone wants to get involved, you know, it's, it's easy enough just to jump off and kind of say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do these projects, but you need to have an infrastructure to get the work. You know, I think the number one way to get the infrastructure is to meet lots and lots and lots and lots of people. How do you do that? You need basically, you go to those meetups that we talked about earlier. You make sure that your online brand is good, starting with your LinkedIn presence, going to, if you want a personal website, a blog, you're on social media, whatever social media you choose, and you're focused on the UX or the, that whatever subset of kind of UX, that umbrella you're, you're in. And... Once you have kind of that wide exposure, it's a lot easier to get the work. 
by and large, you know, now, you know, many years in, 12 years in, you know, um, like I said, initially, I, you know, I find that a lot of my work, and most of my work actually comes from word of mouth. That is, I know somebody who knows somebody, or someone who just knows somebody, um, or I did work for them before, things like that. So largely, I, you know, I'm getting work, kind of a stream of work, you know, mostly. There's times, you know, there's been like two bad years out of the last 10 where it just, it, for whatever reason, it didn't. And it's not tied to the economy. It's not, you know, I don't understand. I don't see the patterns. I still can't figure them out. So even that many years in, there's still going to be kind of hurdles, which means just make sure you have money saved so you can, you know, pay for your, where you live and you can buy your food and, you know, and things like that when times are a little bit leaner. But basically, yeah, you, you can jump off. Once you have that, once you feel comfortable enough being able to say, I can go off, I've created this network, um, which you can do while you're still working for a company. Then you go off, you kind of start gathering and work and you can always modulate your rate. So you can say, I'm going to start with a hourly or project rate that's pretty low. And then once you really feel comfort, like stable or confident in your brand and your skill and, and your ability to be visible, you can raise your rate to probably a more normative rate for your geography. And, and by the way, rates change tremendously, different geography. You know, even you know, in the US, you know, if you're on the West Coast, it's different than you're on the East Coast. If you're in New York, it's different than you're in DC. It's different than if you're in middle America. You know, it's just, it's very, very different, but kind of talking with people local to you geographically, um, you can get a sense of, of kind of what the rates are you know, in that geography. But basically having those elements, feeling comfortable with those elements, and then kind of seeking out the work. And then most important is the soft skills, is make sure you're nice. You know, be nice, no matter what, be nice. Try to find the clients that are nice. And for me, that's the most important thing is, is niceness. But also kind of your clients that will come back for more work, that have interesting projects and they value you, they'll take your advice or your designs or whatever. Yeah, so that's, that's good. Those are great tips. Thank you. And then about those two years, that was a little bit more complicated. So were you stressed out? What did you have in mind? Did you thought to yourself, oh, I just work for a company and forget about it? Or Yeah, I mean, I've thought about it. I thought, about, you know, maybe it's time. Maybe I need to go. But I, I've held on. And you know, keep saying, you know, if it really, if it ever does really get bad, and it's true in any case, you can always go back to working for a company. I mean, you, you do have a different kind of job experience, and that's fair. But yeah, I mean, it certainly is stressful. You know, you try to have an emergency fund, you know, but that only gets you so far when it's like a whole year of not, you know, so good work, you know, and, and yeah, and it's, it's never really knowing for sure, you know, and it's never knowing for sure. It's not being able to really predict. I can see fairly well, usually two or three months ahead. I can't see beyond that. And I would say, you know, also it's, you know, it's, I guess, having the confidence that it will come back eventually. And it always has for me. I know people who have tried it for six months, for eight months, you know, and they're like, no, no, not for me. You know, yeah, this is just, it's not good for my heart, you know, the, to, yeah, to be dealing with this. It's scary. But if you hold on and there's people that have held on and you just kind of say, okay, you know, this isn't so good a year, this is. Also people who kind of say, okay, I've made my network. I've, I've been visible. Now it's time to, you know, just relax. I'm going to just relax and take the work then their work eventually decreases because it, it, there's diminishing returns on that, on like that, on that visibility. And yeah, I think that's pretty much it. It's just really having the confidence, keep getting out there. You know, if work is light, it's time to write some blogs. You know, I'll, I'll often want to work, if, if work's light even for a couple of weeks, I'll write like 10 blogs and then, then kind of release them over the next couple of weeks, you know, as work starts getting more, but I wouldn't have had time to write. I love that. But yeah, so it's, and what would be your strategy for those blogs? Would you write about specific content for specific 
audiences of people that might hire you for a project or just to put the content out there to help the community and hope, you know, it will bring back good karma and good projects? Yeah, I'm much more of the good karma variety. <laughs> Basically, like it's kind of like if you, if you, I feel like I take a lot of just random things, kind of toss them in the air. And those things, you may be blogs or videos or just kind of learning or speaking or whatever, toss them all in the air. I have no idea which ones are going to kind of return with the project and which ones mm -hmm. are just out there. But either way, I like putting them out there to put them out there if it kind of helps people with some kind of insights or whatever. But it's really anything. So for example, I did two in-person research projects last month, about a month ago, and which was crazy talk and the world of COVID, but yeah. I felt like, you know, people are going to do research anyway. I mean, the research is happening in person, a lot less, obviously, but it's happening. So I wanted to write out, you know, why I made the decision to accept a project, basically because I had no other project at the time, and also what I did to be safe, you know? So are those particular things going to help me get work? I don't, well, actually the truth is I got done call saying, oh, you do in-person research, I've got a project, I need help. But that wasn't the intent. I mean, the intent really was, you know, I feel like I have something to say and I want to say, I, like it's, it's in there, it has to come out, you know, and, and put it out. So, yeah. That's a very writer of you to say something like that. The yeah. Part of you. Yeah. And, okay, so we're about to finish our interview. And um, you told me that, you know, you throw some content ideas in the air when you write a blog, you know, in different times like that. And do you have any, like any specific way of thinking to know what to write about or completely random or it's uh, things that's uh, related to your last research, like a portfolio piece? What is that exactly? It can really be anything. I don't have like, this week I want to write this, this week I want to write this, this week I want to write this. Really, I feel inspired. Yeah, really everything is kind of, I feel inspired. You know, there was a blog piece. I had a project in Ukraine and was inspired there. So I, I wrote a blog on the flight home. I was like, oh, I've got to get this out. You know, everyone else is sleeping and I'm there typing away on my, on my blog. And then, and like my most recent two were kind of, I'm doing in-person research. Am I crazy? I've got to get this out there. And then what else was it? I forget. I forget even what the most recent ones were, but, but it's always like, you know, it, it just kind of pops out. Like I've, I've got to say it, I've got to say it. And then I write it, you know? So yeah, it, definitely no rules, no patterns. And sometimes I, have, I go on themes for like a long time, but I'm like, okay, today, this month is all this one kind of general area, which kind of I've been thinking about a lot. But other times it's just, eh, you know, I gotta say this, 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 and I'll just kind of put it out there. Or I just have time and I'm, I'm, I'm bored because I've done all the business development I can think to do. What else can I do? Oh, you know, I've been thinking about these various topics. Okay, I'll just write them. I love the fact that you take your energy and just put your blog post out there. Don't think about it too much. You know, a lot of time people think, okay, this week or next week, I need to create a blog post about that topic. And then, you know, you get the worst type of writer's blogs. And then yeah. even worse, you have the writer's blog. But after that, you don't even write it. And then you're feeling bad with yourself because you didn't put the content list yeah. out there. And that leads to really bad negative cycles that yeah, it goes sure. against your creativity. So I really like the fact that you, you know, take your energy, whatever you feel like at the moment, and just feel like you have to say it, put it out there. Because many times I feel like I have to put something out there, but then I block myself and say, no, 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 I need to write it. My writing game is only on Tuesday, it's not today, so I don't write it, and then I just right. lose the momentum, and that's, that's really bad. I should yeah. Uh, yeah, no, for uh, sure. go more with my energy, because then the best pieces of the content is going on. 
Yes, you, yes. Where do you usually publish the blog posts? Usually on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn, so I guess I've become very embedded in the LinkedIn universe since I started filming for them. Or it was mm-hmm. really LinkedIn, whatever, in LinkedIn. And so basically that's my go-to for publishing is to kind of throw it all out there on LinkedIn Pulse, I think they call it still, or just kind of sort of, and then kind of just see what happens, you know, so. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. In case people would like to contact you, what would be the best way to reach out? So again, I'd say LinkedIn is good, you know, in terms of follow, connect, LinkedIn, Twitter as well, although secondary anyway, as a social mm-hmm. media platform. But yeah, and I think, you know, basically you, you could find me pretty easily, just Google my name and, you know, all, all sorts of things will pop up. All UX, all sorts of UX things will pop up. But, and also a new uh, course in uh, LinkedIn learning, right? The empathy. Yes, yes. So that's kind of been a passion of mine. And you know, it was last year I said, oh, I really want to film this. And I'm like, okay. I was like, yay. So I got to do that. That was, that was a lot of fun. And one of my, that was actually my favorite course to film out of all of them, even though the kind of, I guess the record numbers are going to be, are going to that very first one I did, which was all about just UX careers in general. But yeah, I love that empathy course. It was, cool. it, again, passion, the passion of it. I got to go that. So, yeah. Is it out yet, by the way? The empathy is out. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So I'll put a link to it also in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, you should yeah. join LinkedIn Learning in case you haven't and take this course. Cool. Yeah. Corey, thank you so much for being here today. It was uh, really fun to have you. Great. Well, thank you. I enjoyed being here as well. Cool. I'm happy. Okay. Bye. Bye bye. Thank you.